Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into your... Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like, come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I look, though? Does this jacket go with this shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents expected mother who doesn't have a parking spot these days i have been here 27 years i deserve respect oh yeah go ahead take my parking spot she listen she probably needs jesus more than me honestly use your mirror how long does it take to back out of a jesus give me strength this is so str honestly there better be coffee there better be coffee Y'all are gonna make me park in a handicap spot. Oh look, there go the homeschoolers. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of the- oh, move Hey, are that you on the ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're gonna drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the road. Look at this truck. Where are you going? A church or a Trump rally? Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here. But you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online. Okay, so don't take that too seriously. Just have fun with that, right? We're just having fun. Do you ever get angry over kind of dumb stuff? You know, yeah, I, I do. You know, it seems a lot of times it happens when we're driving, and and I I don't know why that is. When when I get angry when I'm driving, it usually comes out in the form of sarcasm, and and I talk to them like they can hear me, you know, and and you know I say things. Oh, okay, are you really going to drive that slow? No problem. I didn't want to get there today anyway. Go ahead, slow down, whatever. You know, I say things like that, or, or, or go ahead, pull out right in front of me. I, did, I wanted to hit my brakes and test them to see if they're good. You know, that, uh, those are the kinds of things I, I say, or, or somebody swerves a little bit, and immediately they must be texting and driving, right? Uh, that, that comes out every time. But, but we, we say those things, and, and we get upset. Um, a lot of times they're silly. You know, it's, it's anger that's probably not just anger. Uh, I may have mentioned... A, that I'm an Iowa State fan. I can't remember if I ever said that or not. But uh, a time or two, maybe. But, you know, you, you go to Iowa State games, and let's say I'm at a basketball game, and, and you're, you're inside the game, and everybody is, you know, so high-fiving, so excited. Maybe it's been a great game. We win the game. Woohoo! Yeah, everything's good. Uh, and then you go out to the parking lot, and boom, it's like you're bitter enemies right then. And, and you're trying to get out of the parking lot, and oh, you better not pull out in front of me. And the, there's this little pecking order, and you have to get only one car, let them out. And if somebody tries to get out of that, oh, man, that, yeah. And I remember one time, my, uh, after a basketball game, I was walking out with my dad, and uh, you know he's a little older, a little slower, and he was right on the edge, and somebody... Rolls down their window, get out of the way, old man. <laughs> like, yeah, so my dad actually beat him up. No, he did. He, <laughs> yeah, no, my dad's pretty gentle. So, But we get upset about things that really aren't that big a deal. You know, we have this anger, but it's unjust anger. The God of the universe also has anger. But his anger is a whole different kind of anger. It's a just anger. It's a righteous anger. And, and the world has rebelled against him through sin. And because of that rebellion, God has wrath against mankind. 
And so here's the deal. The end of Revelation ends really well for those who are Christ followers. Okay? For those who, who don't follow Christ, it's really bad news. And to show the seriousness of rebellion against God, it gets really bad, bad first. Okay? In God's wrath side, it's plain to see as we look at chapters 15 through 20 this morning. And, and to be honest, the wrath of God is not a very top, popular topic, is it, today? Um, Christians were kind of apologetic about that side of things. And, and we love to talk about God's grace and sing about God's love and, and grace and His mercy, but we don't have too many songs about God's amazing wrath, do we? <laughs> you, you don't hear those very often. And, and, and I think probably some of the issue with our avoiding talking about God's wrath is maybe a, a, a reaction to times when in the past when Christians often tried to maybe almost scare people to heaven. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of yelling and, and uh, that kind of thing. Probably sometimes we talk more about God's anger than we talk about God's love. And, and we see groups like Westboro Baptist Church uh, picketing at funerals and schools and churches and, and spreading messages of hate. And, and we want to be sure that the world knows that we're not like that, right? And, and, and we, there are so many people in our culture who are or from abusive homes, or homes where their dad wasn't around, and, and we desperately need a whole new concept of the world, word father, and, and that's understandable. Um, you know, people need to understand that God is loving father. And so I, I, I understand some of these reasons why we avoid talking about God's wrath, but I'm afraid that in, in swinging the pendulum all the way to the grace side of things, we're, we're missing out on some things. And, and, and this might sound a little strange, but the fact that God is both a God of wrath and a God of love is, is a good thing, okay? It's a really good thing. And, and what I'm about to say maybe is a little hard to grasp at first, but it's really important to know this and understand this. Uh, but the biggest point that I want you to take away from today's message is this. And if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. To fully appreciate and understand the grace and love of God, we have to first understand the wrath of God. Okay, did you hear that? Let me say that one more time. To fully appreciate and understand the grace and love of God, we, we have to first understand the wrath of God. Okay, you see, when we see just how bad rebellion against God is, and then you see that God gives us a chance for forgiveness through Jesus, even though we have rebelled through sin, okay, we, we should be left with a reaction of just, wow, I, I didn't deserve that. Thank you, God. In Revelation 15 and 16, we come to this final series of judgments. And remember, I've talked about the fact that, that each series of seven judgments actually tells the same story. Okay, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, now the seven bowls of God's wrath. They tell a story of God's judgment leading up to the end of time. Okay, and each time the story has a little different purpose, but it builds in intensity each time as well. So we called it progressive parallelism. Remember we talked about that? So for an example of how the, the story keeps building in intensity, in the seven seals, uh, the, so that first group, a fourth of the world experiences God's wrath, 25%. In, in the seven trumpets, a third of the world experiences God's wrath. Now with the seven bowls, 100% of the world faces God's wrath and judgment. 
And these judgments, are, they're poured out from the seven bowls by seven angels, and they're called the seven last plagues, okay? So in, in Revelation 15, 1, it says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues last because with them God's wrath is completed. Okay, so now remember, most of Revelation is, is connected and tied in with the Old Testament, and that's true here with these plagues also. Okay, these plagues being poured out echo the plagues being handed, that were handed down by God to the Egyptians when they had Israel in slavery, all the way back in Exodus. So you can kind of tie that in. These plagues talk about painful sores and, and, and water turned to blood and darkness and, and frogs and, and hailstones. And, and so they're kind of a picture of God's people as slaves again, uh, imprisoned in this pagan culture. But God loves his people. And he releases his anger in order to finally release his people. And to be honest, these plagues on unrepentant mankind, they're, they're a little hard to read about as we look at it. Like I said earlier, we have kind of this certain image of God and this, this loving, gentle image. And, and it's not what we see in these chapters. And I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but the original plagues in Exodus were actually about repentance. But Pharaoh... If you remember, he was unwilling to repent. We have the same picture here in Revelation. God gives the people a chance to repent, but they are unwilling. Matt Proctor writes in his book, Victorious, In many ways, the story of Exodus is the story of the whole Bible. Right before the nation of Israel is, is established, God liberates his people from the bondage of Egypt. 1,500 years later, right before the church is established, Jesus liberates his people from the bondage of sin through the death on the cross. Here in Revelation, right before the eternal kingdom of God is established, God liberates his people from the bondage of the world. Okay, so now keep in mind as we go through this, through this the immediate connotation of Revelation is, is Rome. Okay, God is speaking against the evil Roman Empire as he writes a message to the seven churches in Asia Minor. But in the big picture, he's speaking against all those who don't follow him and, and don't repent of their sins. Okay, so we kind of got a double thing going here. So as we we do a very broad scope of chapters 15 through 20. Let's take a look at some lessons from the seven bowls of God's wrath. Okay, and so before we get into God's wrath being revealed, we're, we're given some kind of foreshadowing about the end result uh, to remind us that salvation is coming. Okay, salvation is coming. Uh, remember again, apocalyptic writings often not in chronological order. That's hard for us sometimes, but let's look at 15, 2 through 4. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Okay, I, I love this image of a, this kind of sea of glass. Okay, it is glowing with fire as if it was kind of still hot from God's anger, but it was calm now. Uh, there was victory over the beast, over Satan. You know, one of my favorite things in the world is to, to be fishing right at sunset when the water is perfectly calm. It's just like a, a glass and... Uh, you know, the sunset's coming down, it's reflecting, the sun's reflecting on the water, it's kind of glowing orange, and, and my 
immediate reaction when that happens is just, man, thank you, God, for your beauty that's all around us. And uh, added bonus is that usually right at dusk, the fish bite pretty well, too. So sometimes I catch a fish even, and that's a bonus. But, um, but this was the calm kind of after the storm, and we're going to see the truth that going back, God's wrath is terrible. Okay, it's a terrible thing. This is not something that any of us should ever want to experience. Okay, when I was growing up, I spent a lot of time at my cousin's house. There was five kids. There was three boys. And so the boys and I, we would you know, hang out and play during the day, and especially in the summer. And usually the, those brothers would get in a fight or something would happen during the day. And so uh, my aunt would usually say those words, wait till your dad gets home. And so... Uh, he would get home, and it was kind of like one of those things, all right, let the beatings begin, who's first? And, and, and so the, you know, the, the brothers had to figure out who was doing what, who was in trouble, and so I was always very thankful that I was the cousin, not part of that. Um, he was a great guy. He, my uncle was a really good guy, but there was sometimes some pretty big anger going on there. My uncle's anger is nothing like God's wrath, Okay. Let's read a little bit about it and start in chapter 16. Then I heard a, a loud voice from the temple saying to the, the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. You seeing kind of the connection to the plagues here? Uh, goes right along with them. Let's go down to verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. That's hard to read this. The fifth angel poured out the bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. It's hard to, to read about God's wrath. But we have to read this we have to understand this before we can understand his love and the key here i think is in verse 11 that says they cursed the god of heaven because of their pain and sores but they refused to what repent right to repent and glorify him just like pharaoh wouldn't repent rome won't repent and and people today often refuse to repent of their sins and and so the, the first six bowls of god's wrath are poured out and then we have a little pause, okay? Uh, just like there was a pause between the sixth and seventh seal, and there was a pause between the sixth and seventh trumpet, it's like it takes us to the end of the time. And then we have a pause between the sixth and seventh bowl of God's wrath. And this pause is to prepare us for, for what could be the biggest battle in history, okay? It, it, it's often talked about. Verse 16 says it. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. 
Ooh, Armageddon. Okay, that, uh, that, this is the only time actually in the New Testament that this word is mentioned. But our, our culture has kind of latched on to this word, haven't we? You know, we have movies called Armageddon. We talk about the final battles. These things are going to happen at the end of the world. Um, but here's the deal. If the real Armageddon that will happen one day was a Hollywood movie, it would be a big flop because it is the shortest battle ever. Okay, so uh, number three on your bulletins, Armageddon, it's the shortest battle ever. This is the end of the time. Uh, Verse 17 says, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Okay, that's it. it. He speaks it, and it happens. God says it is done. In an instant, it's done. Okay, no back and forth drama. God says it over and over and, and, and that's it. It's done. Okay? You know, if you look at history, it tells us that the shortest war ever was called the Anglo-Zanzibar War, which was a, a military conflict between the United Kingdom and the Zanzibar Sultanate. Okay? Uh, 20, August 27, 1896, uh, the conflict lasted between 38 and 45 minutes. Okay? So it was the shortest recorded war in history. I, I don't know anything about Zanzibar Sulfonate, uh, but it was in East Africa, and, and they lost this, this battle to the United Kingdom. One day Armageddon's going to take place, but it will be over immediately once it starts. Okay, You know, in most action movies, there's back and forth that happens, right? Okay, we watch the movie, and, and it looks like, you know, the bad guy's going to win, and... You know, it's like, oh, no. But in the end, the good guy always wins, right? And, and that's what we want. We don't want to go to a movie and, and have it end with, oh, man, yeah, the bad guy won. What a bummer. That would be, right? That, would, that doesn't make us feel good. Um, but as I've been saying each week, there will come a point when God says, no more. Okay? How long will the suffering last? The, the church was asking how long is this going to last? And God said, for, for a while longer, but not forever. Okay, the, there's a story I read about of two boys who were, they were brothers. It was told by a guy named Mark Buchanan. The younger brother had Down syndrome. Okay, one day some boys, they surrounded the brother with Down syndrome, and they, they started calling him names, and they made a circle. They were shoving him back and forth, and, and, and his round, kind of thick-set face just grew taut with, with fear and kind of bewilderment. Okay, he didn't understand why, why they were doing this. And the older brother, he's watching this, and, and at first he was afraid. But then he got angry, very angry. And, and he wasn't physically big, and he was badly outnumbered. But in his anger, he, it was like he grew in size, and his strength multiplied. And, and he waded into the circle, and he whipped the whole group of them. Mark says that stories like this kind of resonate with something clean and deep and noble inside us. And, and, and we know we're witnessing holy anger. We know in the face of such things that anything less than anger would be cowardice. It would be pusillanimous. A word that literal meaning is small, small spirit. Okay, there's a, a word for you, right? Pusillanimous. Okay, you can use that on somebody this week. Uh, uh, see what they say. I don't even know how to say it really, but... Uh, but at some point, God, is, he's going to step in and say, no more. It's over. You lose. But it, it's a righteous anger, and we really wouldn't want it any differently. 
God will speak and the battle will be over. And, and the results of this battle, it talks about here, are huge. Okay, there, there's flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. The biggest earthquake that ever happened. Uh, Rome is, is destroyed. Hailstones of, of hundreds of pounds fall down on people. And it's just symbolizing this harshness of the consequences of God's anger. Well, let me ask this. Why is this battle so short? When you look at it, it, the battle is so short because it actually has already been won on the cross. That's why it's so short. Let's look at chapter 19, starting in verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe. Listen to this. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen and white and clean. Okay, the hint there is this robe was dipped in blood. This is a reminder that the battle was won, but not without a price. Okay, yes, God's anger was huge because of rebellion of mankind, but out of his love he said, I am willing to pay the price for that sin in order that mankind can be reunited with me. Okay, he was killed on a cross. His blood was shed, but there was a cost. And it's a cost that should have been paid by all mankind, but God said, I'll pay it. So the, one of the underlying messages here is this. Don't be seduced by Rome. Don't be seduced by the world. Okay, the easy thing is to say, yeah, you know, this is a, it's about everybody else. Yeah, Rome, man, they were so bad. They're so evil. Yeah, God needs to, to get them. But, you know, it's about us as well because the Bible makes it pretty clear that all of us have separated ourselves from God through sin. Going back to chapter 17, it says, uh, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. There's several different ways that Rome is called, uh, or names that Rome is called. One of them is the great prostitute. And so it's Rome, but it applies to it, our culture as well, and any people. And it's so easy to be pulled away by the world. We talked about this last week a little bit, that it can just pull us down. And, and our, our country is not exempt from that. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform. Okay? Do not be seduced by the world. And the sad news is this. Not everyone will be saved. Satan has a lot of time to do his work. In the time, it seems like a long time for us. Okay? But, but it's really about God's patience. More than anything, he, he's given people time to repent. Chapter 20, verse 1 says, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. A lot is made about these thousand years here. What, what do they mean? And, and there's a lot of different options. Uh, there's probably two main ones. Some believe this millennium is a, a literal like 365,000 days of Christ's reign that starts when he comes back again. Um, Christians are physically resurrected uh, at his side, all while Satan serves a kind of a, a sentence for this time uh, in the abyss. And at the end of a thousand years, Satan will be released, rally his troops for the great battle, and then he's defeated by Christ, who at that time establishes the new heavens and the new earth. Other Christians, including myself, believe the thousand years here is just like other numbers in Revelation. It's figurative. Okay, it represents kind of the long time period between Christ's ascension and his return. And during this time, Christ reigns from his throne in heaven, just like we saw in Revelation chapter 5 when we looked at that. But the Christian faithful have already uh, experienced spiritual resurrection in heaven. Satan is bound spiritually during this church age by the preaching of the gospel. And the gospel flourishes uh, when, and, and Satan, satanic strongholds are, are diminished. Uh, as the gospel flourishes and the dominion of darkness falters. Uh, but right before Christ's second coming, Satan will be unbound. He'll succeed in greater deception among the nations and gather them for battle. Okay, then in an instant, okay, we get back to Armageddon. He will see them destroyed by fire from heaven as Jesus returns to inaugurate the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, that's a lot right there. Um, here's the thing. There's a lot of things in, in Revelation, and this is one of them. Either way, the devil takes an eternal, eternal swim in the lake of fire, right? And, and either way, Satan is defeated, and either way, Jesus wins. Amen? Okay, and, and so Jesus wins, but not everyone will get to be a part of that victory. And so the end of chapter 20, it, it's really good news, and it's really bad news. And I want to pick it up in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and, and him who was seated on it. The earth and, and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of, of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So death is swallowed up here. Okay, that, There will be no more death, no more pain, no more suffering for those who are in Christ. That's a good news. But it is not good news for those who are not part of God's kingdom. It says, anyone whose name is not written in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. And really, that should break our hearts. I would love to get to the end of the sermon and say, you know, it, it turns out great for everyone. In the end, everyone repents and, and we'll all get to spend eternity with God in heaven. But that's not what it says is going to happen. So what do we do about this? If we're already Christians... Very simply, we need to realize that, that we can influence people for the kingdom. One person, influencing one person 
influencing one person and so on. And, and the kingdom of God can grow one person at a time. And, and we can be a part of, of helping adding names to the book of life. Let me close where we started. We've talked about the wrath of God today. Not, not a fun topic really to preach about. But, but remember what I said at the beginning. To fully appreciate and understand the grace and love of God, we have to first understand the wrath of God. God could have said, you know what? I'm done with you. It's over. But He didn't. And so out of His love, He came up with this plan to pay the price for our sins through Jesus Christ, who would come into this world to to live a sinless life. And go to the cross innocent, without blemish. This sacrificial lamb that we've talked about in Revelation. And it would leave his robe dipped in blood. But he would ride away victorious over death. And that's the good news. And and you all have a chance to be victorious over death as well. Because of what Jesus has done, and and many of you have already done that, you've said yes to Jesus, and that is so awesome. All of you also have a chance to help others say yes to Jesus. You have this group of people around you. It's important. This is big stuff. This is eternal stuff we're talking about. And so just a couple quick questions as I close. I I would ask, are, are you ready to say yes if you've never said yes to Jesus? And if you have already said yes to Jesus, who do you need to talk to? Maybe who do you need to invite to come to church with you next week for Easter? It's important. This is big stuff. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we talk about this topic and it's, it's almost uncomfortable because we don't like to think about this side of things. But it would be a whole lot harder to talk about if there wasn't an answer that you gave us through Jesus. And I'm so thankful that, that you are patient with us and that you love us enough to say, I will take care of this. Just follow me. Just follow me. Lord, I I pray for anybody here that might be struggling right now who who might feel like, where is God's love in all this? That that they will just understand where you're coming from. I pray that you'll just help us to look at the world around us and see it with kind of open eyes to those who need you. Lord, we love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.